about a month ago, I gave a very similar message at, at the UMJC uh, regional conference. And uh, the message itself is quite simple. But it was one of the most deep times of struggle I went through in preparation for it. And my conclusion was it was because there was someone, at least one, maybe more people in that room that needed to hear specifically what I was saying. Well, guess what? Same thing happened this time. I mean, I, I, this is so similar to the other one, but I had the same struggle. It's a simple message. So I think, I believe that someone or more people here, this is really for you. It's really for you. Now, also, I, I, uh, a slight uh, disclaimer. About a month ago, I had a sudden onslaught of a serious uh, eyesight condition. We're working on it. I'm getting treatment. Things are supposed to get better. So if I walk past you and don't say, hey, cause I, I, you don't look clear. You're all distorted. But also, when I, I'm, I have notes on purpose for your protection and benefit, so we end on time. Otherwise, you'll see these rabbit trails are quite possible. Because the teaching has nine points. Who goes more than three, right? Maybe Larry with four. But uh, if you see me doing this, I'm, I'm really not dominant. Okay, if you're, if, you, if you're new, it's I'm trying to focus on my notes. So there's also a direct correlation of, of how fast we go, depending if I can see it or not. But I, I do, th- this is one of the most important messages that I have ever given. It, you know, from a Jewish perspective, you can hear things. And you can, you can uh, intellectually say, yes, I, I see that, I believe that. But until you do those things, you haven't learned those things. So this is one of the doing things. And... Uh, it, if you think it's easy, you see, Satan wants to hinder you from doing the most important things. And another reason I feel that this is uh, for you today is that all the various scriptures and things that were said in comments in worship that were leading up to this, they have no idea what I'm going to be saying. They all dovetailed with exactly what I'm saying. So God has a message for you today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you speak clearly from your word. And from the living word, Yeshua, our Messiah, I pray today, above all, we would hear from you. And when we hear, we would do that we might know and that we might tell others. In Yeshua's name, amen. Well, the title of this is At Messiah's Feet. Uh, Luke is one of my favorite uh, teachers. He wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And he was present for about half of what happened in the book of Acts. But he writes very orderly. He was not an eyewitness to the life of Yeshua. However, sometimes people who are not eyewitnesses can see things a little more clearly from the outside looking in. He was not an eyewitness, but he personally interviewed all of the players, all the people that were involved in these accounts. And as he began to interview them, he noticed something similar about each one. That there was one, there was a pattern and a, and a common thing that happened in each of these events, these life-changing events. And as you will see, he selects uh, different ones. There's many more that he could have selected. And there's nine, believe it or not. But they all have one thing in common. When, when amazing things happened, when the miracles took place, the people were at Yeshua's feet. 
It begins there and it ends there. And you'll see what I mean. Sitting at the feet of the Messiah. That's a, a rabbinic term, a Hebraic idiom for being a disciple of. Sitting at the feet of someone, you are their disciple. Paul uses that in Acts chapter 22. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was the disciple of Gamaliel. That was a big deal. Gamaliel's school was the last graduate school before sitting on the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. That's how high up Paul was. But he sat at his feet. He learned all those things so he could convey to us the prophecies that, that are contained in, in Scripture, clearly. But sitting at Yeshua's feet, your body posture. You know, there's, a lot of, there's about 20 body postures in Scripture given to us. Uh, one of those is bowing at his feet. Now, body, your body posture in worship, anybody can do, I, you know, I can lift my hands, I can get on my knees, anybody can do anything. But the way it's supposed to be is that the body posture reflects your heart. Okay, don't, you know, don't do it unless it, it's, it's from here. It, 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 because you might hinder someone else's worship. But it's a reflection of the heart. So sitting at the feet of Yeshua is a picture of humility, of submission, teachability, respect, attitude. There's an attitude. Servanthood. Listening. Hearing. Have you heard from him? How important is that? Have you heard from him? Worship, and above all, intimacy, getting to know him. Getting to know him. Well, the first one of these was Peter's call to discipleship. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. By the way, I'm not reading the scriptures. All of these are familiar. I'm referring to things you already know and, and pointing you to what Luke saw. Uh, Yeshua was teaching from Peter's boat. I mean, that, that's an honor. Man, he picked my boat, Peter. And he, he went out from shore and he taught the people. And when he is finished, the rabbi tells the fishermen, let's go fishing. You recall Peter's response to that. Well, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm sure he, he had attitudes here. It's like, you know, listen, I'm the fisherman, you're the rabbi. Lord, you know, maybe you missed this one, but we were fishing all night. And we didn't catch anything. Now, if you take me fishing, that's what's going to happen. I can tell you that right now. It's prophetic in nature. The story of my fishing life right there. But can you picture Peter's attitude, his expression? Lord, we have been, who know what we're doing, have been fishing all night long. And we've caught nothing. And what happens next? What does Yeshua say? He didn't say anything. I think he gives Peter a piercing look. You know? And I think James and John are going to Peter like... <laughs> and Peter goes, well, okay. At your word, but it's not going to work. I can tell you now. At your word. And then what happens? The best day of fishing in his life. The most fish... They were, the word was they were astonished. It wasn't just this is good. They were astonished at the catch of fish. Well, at that point... This is Peter's call to discipleship. The Lord said, from now on, you're going to catch men. You're through fishing. Isn't it interesting that his very best day of fishing was his last? It's almost like there was, is there a temptation to go back to this? No, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. And what's interesting is that when he made that decision, it was a call to discipleship. He fell at Yeshua's feet. He fell at Yeshua's feet when he saw that miracle. Because he's realizing who's in charge of the fish. 
I'm going to follow you, who is in charge of the fish. And as he knelt before him, he heard the call to discipleship. And, you know, some people can hear the call. But recall I mentioned the hearing and the doing? What happens next? It says, and, and rightly so, he forsook all and followed him. He never looked back. He forsook all. Have you taken that step of discipleship? It's one thing to say, well, yeah, I really want to follow the Lord. Well, have you forsaken all that hinders you, that holds you back to follow him? Can I, can I fish half the time? No, it's all or nothing. And it was like Yeshua was saying, Peter, let's go change the world. We have a message, the most important message of all time, given by me, Yeshua, the most important person of all time, that will determine people's eternal destiny. Pretty important stuff. Follow me, Peter. We'll change the world. And he did. And he made the right choice. He forsook all and followed him. But it began at Yeshua's feet. The second one, Luke 5, right? it's, it's, it's back-to-back scriptures. Luke 5, 10 through 15. At his feet is the cleansing of the unclean. There was a man that came to him and fell at his feet. It's not that he had leprosy. Now, that's an awful, awful disease. It says he was filled with it. It was like, to, to picture what this person must have looked like. And he fell at Yeshua's feet. And Yeshua does the unthinkable. I mean, literally, Yeshua is a Torah-observant rabbi. And what does Yeshua do? He touches the man with leprosy. Think about that. See, the rabbis would say, you can't do that. He did. He touched the man. This would make Yeshua unclean. Would it? See, it was like today. I just came back from Dallas. What's Dallas famous for? Well, Ebola these days, right? I, I, seriously, I started to catch the flu when I was in Dallas. You don't want to tell people that. <laughs> you get, they quarantine you for 21 days. I said, I have this bad cold. But it would be like that. If, they, if you knew this person had Ebola, you would back away, but you sure would touch them and bring healing to them. And then Yeshua says to the man with leprosy, what did he say to him? He said, go and do. Here we've got the go and the do. Go and do what Moses wrote in, in Torah. He told him to be Torah observant. Now what does that mean and why? I've often wondered some of the stuff in Torah, why is that there? It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it does make sense in the right place and in the right time. Because he said, it says, go and do what Moses said. What was that? You were to go to the temple, go to the high priest, be inspected if you were healed of leprosy, and then declared clean, and then you could worship at the temple, in a synagogue. But you had to do that. How often did that happen? It never happened. Until now. And he goes to the, he does what he's supposed to do. He goes to the, to the temple. And they say, why are you here? He says, well, I was healed of leprosy, and I've come to be inspected as Moses taught, and be declared clean. What's the next question? Who did it? Well, that's the point. It's Yeshua, Yeshua of Nazareth. He touched, he touched you? Yes. And I was instantly made well. Well, from that point in time in the Gospel account, we see an entourage from the temple following Yeshua around. Not to worship him, but to find fault with him. They made their minds up right away. 
That, that Messiah could never touch someone with leprosy. He does. And if you have a physical need and a problem that you feel is impossible, it's not impossible. He can touch you if you're at his feet. This man fell at his feet. There's cleansing at Yeshua's feet. Luke 7, 36 to 50. There's forgiveness at Yeshua's feet. Now, Luke selects people that are like pretty impossible. And, and, and comparing them to some of us, well, I don't know, your hearts are your past. But here we have this unworthy woman. But she begins to express her heart and express her love to Yeshua. Remember, God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. What does she do? You know, you're not supposed to do this. She begins to kiss his feet. She's at his feet, kissing his feet. He allows it. Can you imagine the Pharisees at the table going, you know, this is unthinkable. No rabbi would allow this. First of all, a woman. Second of all, this unworthy woman who's so sinful. The the, the Messiah would never allow this. She begins to weep. She weeps and she washes his feet with her tears and wipes his feet with her hair. And then she anoints his feet with very costly oil, an act of giving. And Yeshua's response was amazing. He said, your sins are forgiven. They were not expecting that one. It was like maybe, well, go and sin no more. No, he said, your sins are forgiven. Uh, and this begins to raise some questions. In, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when these events take place, the response from the people, the people who are there for a negative reason, usually is, and who is this that can do that? Who can heal leprosy? Who can forgive sin? And they were thinking, only God can forgive sin. That's right. After each one of these events, you're left with a, with a question. Who can do this? And that was the reason Luke selected these. Because we're left with only one choice at the end. Only one choice. Yeshua's response, your sins are forgiven. Who can do this? Who is this? They can talk. Who can forgive sin? Forgiveness is at Yeshua's feet. If you need forgiveness, it begins at his feet. The fourth, Luke 8, 26, deliverance begins at his feet. You know, there's some times I'm glad I wasn't with Yeshua. And certain, certain things I really wished I was. But here's one I'm not so sure about. They go across the lake in their fishing boat. As they're docking, they're greeted. By the way, this morning I was greeted so wonderfully. Thank you. I felt very welcome walking in the door. Thank you. Well, that's not what happened here. He was greeted by a naked, homeless, demon-possessed man who sleeps in the graveyard. Can you imagine Peter at this point in time? Back up, back up. That's how, but this man falls down at Yeshua's feet. But what happens next is that the demons start talking, not the man. And, and they cry out. And they cry out and they said, please don't send us to the abyss. That's their final prison. Who has power to send the demons of hell to their final prison? Who can do that? Okay. <laughs> Who has the power over the demons of hell? So, there's slight negotiation that goes on. They're on the hillside with a bunch of pigs. 
on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the demons say, well, instead of sending us to our final prison, how about if we get to go in the pigs? Think about this, with, with Hanukkah coming, okay? Uh, so the demons were at home in pigs. That's how I see it. And we have the first recorded case of all time of deviled ham right here on the Sea of Galilee. I'm glad you're awake, all right? See, in, in two years you'll remember that, but n- nothing else about the, about the teaching. But now the man returns to Yeshua's feet a second time. But this time it says he's clothed and sane. He's in his right mind. And now he's proclaiming Yeshua. Yeshua can bring deliverance at his feet. If you need deliverance, fall at his feet. And by the way, I hope you're noticing that none of these things took a long time. They were all rather instant Luke 8, 41, there's life at the feet of the Messiah. We have a life or death situation that Luke leads us into. Jairus, he's the president of the synagogue. This is a big deal. The president of the synagogue. His only child is about to die. What's the value of an only child? What's that worth? It's worth everything. You would do anything to save the life of, of, of your child. Your child is dying. So they came to Yeshua. And I'm sure the Pharisees were saying, well, you can't do this. Jairus was saying, it's my child. I don't care. I'm doing it. He's coming to my house. There was this urgency. It's life or death. Come now. The president of the synagogue's only child is about to die. It's interesting how Luke put, puts these back to back, and he contrasts the two, doesn't he? Here we have the president of the synagogue. This is a a high-ranking person in life. And this naked demon-possessed homeless guy that that sleeps at the cemetery. But both of them need Yeshua. The same. Isn't that interesting how you contrast? Yeshua can meet the needs of all people, no matter how high or how low. So Yeshua agrees to go to Jairus' house. And it's urgent. It's life, life or death. And on the way, there's this interruption. You know, know, a woman is in the crowd. And she's had this medical problem for 12 years. Same age as as Jairus' daughter, by the way. Interesting. And so she, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but she is in the crowd of people that are going to Jairus' house. She reaches through and it says that she touches the hem of his garment. Except that's English. What did she touch? The word is tzitzit. She touches his tzitzit. Yeshua wore tzitzit. He was an Orthodox practicing rabbi. She touches his tzitzit and she's healed. She didn't ask anything, didn't say anything. She just reached out and touched. And there's this large group of people. And Yeshua stops. Now there's, there's urgency to get to the synagogue's president's house. The child is dying. And Yeshua says, okay, who, who touched me? Now, we have Peter again saying, you've you got to be kidding. Jillions of people you're bumping into when you ask who touched you? And he stops. He stops going to the house. What happened to, to the urgency? He said, somebody touched me. I felt power go out from me. And the woman then came forth and confessed that it was her that did it, but that she had been healed when she touches him. So now they're dealing with the healing where she came to him kind of in secret, touches him, and now she's confessing openly, when I touched him, I was healed. Wait a minute. She's been this way for 12 years. 
Why did Yeshua stop on the way? He could have done this in two hours, come back and say, meet me here, we'll work on the problem. Why? Because uh, he's doing this on purpose. Because the little girl is supposed to die for the sake of the huge miracle that's about to take place. Oh, by the way, when uh, she touches Yeshua, she had an issue of blood. That makes him unclean again. Isn't it amazing how many times he goes into uh, uh, places where people would say he's unclean? He's saying, no, I'm not. Those people need me, and I will go wherever they are. And maybe that should be our attitude as well. That we will go wherever the people's needs are to, to proclaim to them Yeshua. He can meet that need. Whether it's a synagogue president or a demon-possessed naked man in the, in the graveyard. But you see, the result is the same. Healing, life comes from Yeshua. Well, so as the crowd comes and they say, well, you know, oh, by the way, why did the woman do this in secret? Because she didn't want Yeshua to have to be embarrassed that he's unclean. He's going to the president's house. You know, technically he shouldn't be allowed to go in if he's unclean. So she didn't want people to to notice that. She was trying to be respectful. Meanwhile, the president of of the synagogue receives the worst possible news there is. With with zero bedside manner, they came and they said, your daughter is dead. You don't ever want to hear that. Your daughter is dead. Yeshua turns to Jairus and he says these amazing words, only believe, only believe. He brings Peter, James, and John and Jairus and his wife into the room and he says those lovely words. Little girl, arise. And she gets up. And it says life came back into her. Who has power over death? Good question. Who has power over leprosy? Who has power over the demons of hell? Well, there's only one. Okay? And he came and he walked the face of this earth. And as John said, we beheld his glory. So little by little, the evidence is is mounting to where there's no other choice of who this is. This is the Messiah, the word that came to be flesh. At Messiah's feet, there's life. At Messiah's feet, there's healing. Luke 10, 38 and following. This is a longer discussion. And some of what some of the worship leaders said this morning fits into this quite well. Sometimes life gets in the way. Distractions can get in the way. Luke contrasts Mary and Martha. Okay, now these are two women that are good friends of his, their brother Lazarus. He comes to their house on, on a regular occasion, and he's coming. And uh, Martha had a goal. I mean, th- think about it. If the Messiah was coming to your house this afternoon, you probably would be home cleaning now. Okay? Getting things, making sure the kitchen's kosher, okay, all that, whatever you have to do, okay? And so she was getting all that stuff ready, and, and when, when Messiah comes, Mary's not helping. She, Mary, is at his feet. And, and Martha gets upset. She said to Yeshua, tell, tell her, you tell her. Tell, tell her to come and help me in the kitchen. Interesting response. Mary's goal, Martha's goal, Martha's goal was to be a good hostess for the Messiah. There's nothing wrong with that. But Mary's goal, where was Mary? She was at his feet. Her goal was to be a good disciple. And Yeshua said, that's the more important thing. 
He didn't belittle Martha for wanting to have a clean house. But he said, you know, sometimes that's distracting you from being at my feet, which is way more important. And he commended Mary. Mary's goal was to be a a good disciple. You know, sometimes things that are good can distract you from the things that are best. So learn to sort the difference. And we do it in prayer. Lord, because sometimes maybe the house won't be as clean as you think, but you minister to people. What was Mary doing? She was at his feet, trying to be a good disciple. What's she doing? She's hearing from God. She's listening to the Messiah. That's way more important than a clean living room. She was receiving, hearing from him. Are you hearing from him? Some might say, well, I want to hear from him. How close are you? You hear from him when you're really close to him. When you're in an intimate fellowship, when you're listening, it's easier to hear when you're close and can listen. What, distra- what is distracting you from the best that he has to give to you? Luke 17. There's mercy at the feet of Messiah. Well, Yeshua is met by... <laughs> Notice Luke points out the number of lepers. Before it was one, now we have ten. A minion of lepers. Think about it. Meets them. <laughs> Peter is going, wait, wait, this is getting bigger now. Things are getting out of control. And they cry out, have mercy on us. Have mercy. Is there mercy at Messiah's feet? And they fall at his feet. In a minute, one of them will. And again, he says to them, And they're being respectful. They're standing at a distance. And he says to them, go do what Moses says in the law. And it says, as they went. See, the miracle miracle took place. He didn't touch these this time. The miracle took place when they exercised faith and did what he said. Now, they didn't go after they were healed. They started to go and they were healed as they went. Faith in action. Sometimes the Lord says, go. And we say, well, not till you heal me. No, sometimes he says, go. And I'll heal you on the way. Are you listening? What's he saying to you? And so they, they are, again, once again, they're going to go. Here's these ten lepers that show up at the temple. We've been healed. And who did it? Yeshua of Nazareth. Okay. But one of them came back. And this one fell at his feet to give him thanks, to say thank you. Literally what it, what it says there, he said thank you. And Yeshua responds to him. He said, where are the nine You see, Yeshua notices. See, how many times do we pray a phenomenal prayer, have a phenomenal need, and he answers that, and we don't thank him? You see, part of my prayer for all of us in this room today, it's us, it's me too, is that, Lord, if there are things I haven't thanked you for that you've done, remind me, because I want to thank you. See, Thanksgiving, we just had Thanksgiving. That term in the Bible is a term of worship. The giving of thanks is an act of worship. But sometimes we forget to, even with answered prayer. And he said, where, where are the nine? Where are the nine? A place of worship and a place of mercy. They ask for mercy is at Messiah's feet. And last of all, he gives an invitation to come into his presence and be at his feet. In Luke 21, 39 and following, 
after the resurrection, he appears several times to his disciples. Now, I love these appearances because he doesn't ever come through the door anymore. He comes through the wall. Very impre- He appears. He's suddenly he's in, he's in their midst. He's there. This is impressive to me. Okay? I was thinking, who can do that? I can't do that. Who can do that? Appearing to his disciples. What does he say to them? He invites them to touch his feet. That means you have to bow down. At least the outward expression is one of worship and touch his feet. Why did he do that? When they touched his feet, think about this. When they touched his feet, what were they feeling? They were feeling gaping holes in his feet from the nail. Those of you who have been to Israel at the uh, museum in Jerusalem, there are Roman nails used in crucifixions that you can see. They are huge. The one for the feet is especially large because the feet were crossed and the nail went through both feet. It was huge. That's the, the size that your fingers can fit into the holes. He wanted them to feel that. Why? They were invited to touch the very cost of their salvation. It's like one of the first heresies that came forth in the ancient times was that, well, Yeshua, the resurrection, it's not, he's not real. He's like a spirit. He's a ghost. He, no, no, he's real. That really happened. There was a crucifixion. The nails were in his hands and feet. He really did die. He really did arise again. That really happened. And these guys were going to give that message. They needed to be convinced. Thomas is still doubting at this point. Yeshua said, touch my feet. That must have been an awesome, almost gruesome thing, but they never would forget it. This really happened. There was a nail in your feet. You died for me. You see, what else were they feeling? I can't help but think it would be something like this. Those holes are because of me. Those holes are because of me. A number of years ago, not being Jewish, sometimes I can go places where others can't go. And believing like I do and teaching like I do and being a Zionist like I am, it was a novelty to a conservative synagogue who asked me to come and share. And several times I was able to speak at the Friday night service of all crazy things. And once I was able to speak to the men's club, 75 conservative Jewish men, to have an open forum with targets all over me, okay, to ask any questions that they want. And it's amazing the questions that they asked. But one of the questions was this. You know, my son and daughter come home from school, and they're told by their Christian friends at school that they killed the Messiah because they're Jews. What do I say? I'm standing in front of these men. What's the right answer? Yeah, I said, you know what? I killed the Messiah. My sin, Peter says, my sin was placed in his body on the tree. Because I believe in him, I was there in a unique way. I put him on that cross. It's my fault. That's what you can tell him. And you know what? They were okay with that. Because all of a sudden now I'm on the receiving end of needing forgiveness. And that's our message to them. We, we, God has provided only one way of forgiveness, and, and this is who it is. And they listened to that, because I wasn't pointing a finger at them, okay? 
never judge. At Yeshua's feet, we can touch the cost of our salvation. Luke observed that these nine events these people had, these miraculous things took place at his feet. These people found, and see if you need any of these things, they found their calling. People are walking around, what's my calling? What's my purpose? At his feet, you'll find it. I need to be cleansed at his feet. They found forgiveness. They found deliverance. They found healing. They found life. They found hope. They found mercy. They found love. That is the list of what the world wants. And we know where the answer is. When you lead people to him, I pray you would lead them to fall before him at his feet in worship, in praise, because there they will receive what they need. What is it that you need today? What is it that you need? You'll find all you need at the feet of the Messiah. Maybe you're saying, well, I just need a touch from him. Well, all these people were either touched by him or they touched him. And to do that, you have to be close. In an intimate, like Mary, a place where she can hear from him. Are you hearing from him? Are you close to him? And what's the posture of your heart? It all begins, and it will all end at his feet. From the coming of the wise men to when John is whisked into the future in heaven, his first encounter with Yeshua, where's John? At his feet. It begins there, it ends there. And by the way, what John experienced is what you will experience. When you enter the glory of God in his presence, I believe that the first voice you will hear and the first face you will see is him. And as John experienced that, he went down on his face. And Yeshua received his worship. All these people, he received their worship. He didn't say to anyone, don't do that. No, he gladly received because they were in the right place. His invitation. In the book of Hebrews, it says, you're invited to come with boldness to the throne of grace. Not the throne of judgment. You ever seen that? It's the throne of grace to receive mercy. The throne is where the king sits. You're invited into the presence of the king. When you enter the presence of the king, you bow before him. And we know who the king of kings is. It's at his throne. Psalm 95, one of our favorite songs. The invitation, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, because he is God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And his name is Yeshua. Whatever your need is, no matter how impossible it might seem, he'll meet that need if you're at his feet. Our God and God of our fathers, 
God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, I thank you and praise you that there's nothing too impossible for you. And Lord, I lift up the needs of the people in this room, what they're thinking about right now, what's going through their minds, I pray you would touch them at their point of need, and they would receive what that need might be, whether it be healing or deliverance or intimacy with you or hearing from you, whatever that need is, that you would meet that need, that you put that on their mind for this moment right now, and that in their hearts they're bowing before you, they're at your feet, in submission to you, declaring that they are your follower, your disciple, and they would receive what you want to give. And Lord, at this time of the year, when people are talking about all these different things, the, the, the miracle of Hanukkah, the miracle of your coming into the world, may we be directed past all, the, all the, the, the decorations and look to the person. May you use us as instruments of, of your glory to lead people into your presence that so they might find what they need at your feet. And may that be new beginnings for us. And may this congregation make an impact on this community and upon the synagogue right across the road. And may your eyes and hearts be opened and may you use us who are nobody to change the world as you did Peter and James and John. Lord, I thank you and praise you that you invite us to follow you. That when we do, you also invite us to forsake all in following you. And maybe somebody here had the best day of fishing in their whole life. And you're saying, give it up and follow me. Lord, I pray if there's a need for the healing of a child in this room, that we would look to what you did at the home of, of Jairus, and that child would be healed and be able to fulfill the total and complete calling that's upon their life and their life's purpose. And as long as we have life and breath in us, may we do what all of these people did and proclaim you and your love. And may we be as the sinful woman whose heart said, anoint his feet, wash his feet with our tears, and listen to what he says. I thank you that you give mercy. In Yeshua's name. Amen.